1: afternoon, everybody. It is the Steve Jones Show on a Thursday. Matt Catrillo here with you. Steve will soon be there from the Sunbury Motors studio. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummels Wharf and online at sunburymotors.com. Ford, Kia, Hyundai, a great selection of pre-owned inventory in case that's what the budget says you need to get instead of a brand new car. But either way... They have a tremendous sales staff that will work with you. They're not just there for the sale. All part of that Sunbury Motors guarantee, along with a great service department that is there to help you with all the diagnostics, with the inspections, with all the routine stuff. They take care of you at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummels Wharf and online at sunburymotors.com. We got Scott Spinelli today rejoining us from the Believe Podcast Network, former BC coach, to break down the NBA draft tonight, which Woj has confirmed looks like will be some Sympatigo, with Jabari Smith as the number one overall pick, followed by Chet Holmgren, so we'll get into that with him. And Rob Beer Temple from The Athletic going to talk about the recent Pirates youth movement. A lot of attention to O'Neal Cruz. Steve and I got into that a little bit yesterday and where that goes for the Pirates, so... We'll get into that with Rob as well. Then there's this. So before we get to this, what happened in the Stanley Cup final last night in Game 4, we did post this on the uh, on the show social media. Arch Manning, the number one quarterback for the class of 2023, announced his commitment today to Texas. So once Texas jumps into the SEC, that'll keep the Manning SEC tree going. And what's really intriguing is Arch Manning is probably going to be taking over the reins in 2025 as a starting quarterback, and that is when Texas will have its first year in the SEC. That'll be intriguing. Guess there was a lot of connections there with Texas's quarterback coach and the like, so Longhorns get Arch Manning as the number one quarterback of the class of 2023, so there's that. Now, There is what happened last night for the game winner, for the Avs, in overtime. And why, well, let me say this. I I don't even know why this is even controversial. With John Cooper, the Lightning head coach, with the whine completely of something totally irrelevant to the goal to the play, and even to the rule of trying to argue for too many men on the ice to disallow the goal. First of all, there's so many pictures out there on social media of what the ice looked like when Zim Kaderi, who came off an of injury... By the way, that's a great story, and he scored the game winner. There are six guys on the ice, yes, but there's the rule that if you're within five feet of the bench... You're clear. And it's, it's a judgment call. Any, four, any of the four officials can make that judgment call. But it was a good non-call. Because he's clearly inside the, the five-foot line toward the bench. He is literally on the bench and looks like even about to climb over the bench in the line change when the goal is scored. So that in itself, I don't understand why there's, there's even a question. It was clear. It should have even taken as long as it did that that, should, that was a good non-call. But even worse for Tampa Bay, they had seven guys on the ice at the time during that shift. They were changing, too. And, and one of those guys was coming off the bench. Another guy was heading toward the bench. And they were right around the same spot. This was a normal part of the game. And because of the way it was scored, when it mysteriously snuck underneath the top of the goal, where nobody knew it was in, except for Kadari, who scored, and everybody else on the ice, similar to the Patrick Kane game-winning goal against the Flyers in the 2010 Stanley Cup Final in Game 6. Nobody knew what was going on except the team that won and the team that scored. And John Cooper's just all sour grapes about it. Well, guess what? I'm sending John Cooper a little... Gift card from our friends at Brewers Athletic so we can have some cores straight up from Denver, Colorado, to have after he chokes over his wine about that call. Get over yourself, John Cooper. You could be sour grapes. He, he was afterwards. You can be. You can be heartbroken. You can be dejected from losing the game like that in a key game. I think the winner of that game was probably going to win the, was going to determine the series and looks like an avalanches are in the driver's seat right now with three games to one but don't say that the game should have kept going stop you okay I just John Cooper needs to just go away and get his team ready for game five because you know what I don't think they're going to be ready for game five I think Colorado is going to lay the hammer down and end the whining lightning so Steve if you'd like to you can also join me in sending a Brewers Outlet gift card to John Cooper so we can take some cores and drink some cores after he chokes on his wine this shouldn't even be controversial it was clear that was a good non-call last night
0: well, no, he's got, his, he's got his left skate already on the, all right, set to go. I mean, that's just a question of, you know, the two benches are next to each other, and they're looking over, and they think they've got too many men. But the bottom line is the speed of Colorado in overtime, it took over. And the ice, for the most part, was tilted. Also, let's give Darcy Kemper a lot of credit. Andre Vasilevsky justifiably gets a lot of publicity for being a great goaltender because he is. Darcy Kemper is the one that when we came into the series, people had questions about. Darcy Kemper played really well last night. And not only that, to let you know the kind of zone he was in last night, on the winning goal he got an assist. And it wasn't just because he touched it. He made a a terrific judgment where he saw the ice, and he got the puck up the ice. That's right. To set set the whole play up. It was a really good pass by Kemper to get the play going. And, you know, we talk about the hockey assist, which is that second assist. He's the one that got that uh, on that particular play. And he deserves a lot of credit for how he played in last night's game. Uh, Kemper... Early on had more pressure on him. He gave up a goal thirty seconds in, and after that, the rest of the game, essentially almost the entire first period, plus all the second, the third, and then all of overtime, he only gave up one more goal. That's it. You gotta give him a lot, you gotta give him credit for that. And remember, there was a lot of questions about whether he would be the goaltender in game. For after the game three performance and he answered the bell Kepper played really well and Nathan McKinnon scored last night uh, I mean when I mean scored he got an assist I mean I, I'm sorry he got a goal last night which was critical gets him off the off the snide gets him going so yeah and as for. I don't blame Tampa for at least saying, "Hey, look, we didn't think it was a good goal." But the bottom line is, you're at this point, you're just grasping at straws. Cooper is a great coach. Rem- remember, he got them to the Stanley Cup final against the Blackhawks when they were young, uh, you know, and took them, a, and had to turn to Vasilevsky in relief at one point because Elliott wasn't playing well. So I give. Uh, you know Cooper's a really good coach, so I'm not going to sit there and get on his, you know, get on his case. You know, unlike the Yankees manager, he's won titles. Um, so
1: um, <laughs> he is a good coach, but he was in the wrong last night with the way he was in the way he handled that press conference. No, oh, he, he. You was. need to sit Doesn't... there and take the, and take the questions after that tough loss. That's what you're paid to do.
0: Well, as I've said over and over again it is amazing in our society how coaches do exponentially more press conferences than politicians do. i know
1: but I mean, that's that's the nature of the biz that's his job and, well he took questions he took one question and then excused himself
0: i'm out of here i'm done
1: i'm out of here i'm done <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's just that just annoys me but only that too, Steve, did you see all the photos of the of the goal, what the ice looked like? Tampa had seven guys because they were changing as well.
0: Well, I didn't yeah, I didn't all I know is that all the Tampa guys I saw were actually all with the Colorado guys. Nobody was near McKinnon. Uh McKinnon was the reason was because they knew McKinnon was going to the bench on a change. And McKinnon was already at the uh was already at the bench and stepping onto the bench uh, when he was taking the shot. What got me is that the way that the puck went into the net and got stuck up top, like, nobody knew it was a goal. Even if Vazileski, I think, kind of knew something was bad because he says, I don't have it. <laughs> oh, well. Today, by the way, is the 50th anniversary of Title IX. And what it has done and how it has changed women's sports. In 1972, just 30,000 competitors in college sports were women. And... Today, there are 211,000, almost 212,000 women competing. How about that? Just 2% of athletic budgets went toward women's sports in 1972. Today, it's 45%. And if you're saying, well, it's going to be 50-50, just slow down. Use some common sense, will you? just okay i realize that is in short supply when it comes to actually discussing things okay football has 90 has 85 scholarship players there is no equivalency okay and you just don't make up sports so you can get the 85 scholarships just don't make them up hey let's have rugby let's have this we gotta get we gotta make sure we go 85 for no you don't do that because you need to somehow have money for everybody Use some common sense. So if it's 45%, 47%, that's great. Because remember, football is one you don't have an equivalency for. Technically, wrestling is one, too. I mean, I know there are a couple of women's wrestling programs now, but there is not an equivalency for that either. Um, it's great what it's done for high school sports. It's great what it's done for junior high sports. It's great what it's done for college sports. And you got to you know keep pushing forward. Now everything today, 50 years later, is exponentially better than 50 years ago for women's sports. It's exponentially better than it was 40 years ago. It's exponentially better than it was 30 years ago. It is definitely better than 20 years ago. It is definitely better than 10 years ago. But it needs to be better 10 years from now, and it needs to be better 20 years from now. So, yeah, but again, I'd you know I always love when the when it, it's got to be 50 50 you can't have 5050 if one of the sports is football you can't there's no equivalency. baseball is softball, men's soccer is women's soccer you know and you can go all, all the way through what, what the equivalencies are up and up and down. Um, But football's the one you can't come up with one. You just can't, and you just don't add in stuff just to bloat the budget. You know, you've got to be able to pay for things too. And you, I mean, again, you need some common sense. So to me, you take football out of the equation. Now where are you? That's what I want. You know, that's what I want to know. And and don't start. I'll never forget one time, Kelly's. You know, we had Kelly on, but Renee Rene Portland had made a statement about. Football needed to reduce scholarships, and like everybody's looking around, like, "What are you talking about? <laughs> you, you you put a wrench into that. You put a wrench into your sport. Where do you think the money comes from? I mean, Doc, you know, it's not coming from your attendance. It's not coming from your TV contract. It's coming from the football program. And so you don't want to cut back." But again, it doesn't mean it can't get better. It's got to get better the next 10 years. It's got to get better 20 years from now. But again, because there's no equivalency, 45%, you know, if you can get it like 47, 48, because football is going to be one that's going to take up a chunk of the budget, it's going to take up a chunk of the scholarships, and you don't have an equivalency for it, but you need it to fund what you're doing. I mean,. Uh, These things don't happen without money. I've been trying to tell Matt all these years. And now he's got two kids, and he realizes he needs money more than ever. (laughs) (laughs) F-O-U-L-E-D. That spells foul. Got that right. I mean, I, I mean, I saw a picture of you and the two kids—the Father's Day picture. I mean, they're eating. All right, we'll come back with more in a moment. Yes, they are. <laughs> we'll come back with more in a moment. So we continue on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Okay. Hmm. When car repairs get difficult, well, I, I just don't know. Um, me neither. We get good Sunbury Motors
1: Will Sunbury Motors Factory Train Tax take care of your oil change, tire alignments, brakes, and inspections? Quick Lane 630 to 6 Monday through Friday.
0: Saturday, 630 till 2. Sunbury Motors, Ford and Hyundai, North Fourth Street, Sunbury. And Sunbury Motors Kia routes eleven and fifteen in Hummels Wharf. We take the mm.
1: Mm. Mm. out of auto repair.
0: Yeah, this is um, you know you Penn State Sports for women. Actually goes back 60 years. Uh, In 1971, the AIAW was formed. Penn State hosted the 1976 AIAW Final Four. In 1992, the first NCAA women's basketball tournament took place. The first game ever in the NCAA women's tournament was Penn State against Clemson. Trying to think who broadcast
1: that game. Hmm. It might have been me. That'd be a guess of mine. Barbara
0: Kennedy was the star for Clemson. Penn State won the game. First ever NCAA women's tournament game. It's in rec hall. 66 gold medals for women in Tokyo. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now, from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15, Elm's Wharf. Online at sunburymotors.com. Ford Kia Hyundai, best in new inventory. Backed up by great warranties. Well, the budget may say, all right, you know what? Pre owned inventory. Well, you want the Sunbury Motors guarantee to back it up eases the buying experience and you want a service department that backs it all up every step of the way routine stuff you know oil changes inspections diagnostics they handle it all it is one-stop vehicle shopping at sunbury motors 4th street in sunbury sunbury motors key routes 11 and 15 humbles wharf scott spinelli in a moment on the nba draft let's update the scoreboard for you Uh, Pirates had a 6 3 lead, or excuse me, a 6 2 lead over the Cubs. Cubs then scored 5 in the 8th to take the lead, but Michael Chavis just homered for the Pirates 7 7, bottom of the 8th at PNC. Top of the 9th at Great America, Dodgers lead the Reds 9 5. Top of the 8th at Target, uh, Twins lead the uh, Cleveland Guardians 1 0. Uh, Miller Park, Brewers, 4-3 over the Cardinals, top of the fifth. Good series there, by the way. Marlins uh, beat the Rockies 3-2 today down in Miami. Braves won. They beat the Giants uh, 7-6. Later tonight, the Phillies take on the Padres, trying to get out of that funk they got into in Texas. Phillies are two games over five hundred. The Padres have been playing great, and Tatis hasn't even played yet. And then, of course, the Astros and Yankees play tonight in the Bronx at 7.05. If you have MLB Network, it is on MLB Network tonight to see that one. That That is the uh, marquee matchup of the day, along with the Cardinals and the Brewers. All right. Let's see what you got going in that one tonight. Uh, oh, Valdez. Valdez having a good year. and, James yeah, they, and Tyone. Yeah, I was going to say, I think it's Ty- Tyone, Tyone on and tonight. Valdez. Tyone and Valdez, actually a good pitching matchup. Looks like for the first, it says here for the first time in 3 months the Yankees are facing a professional starter. Oh, okay, good. Now I had change things. Okay. But the Yankees were they 21 and 9 at home? Some number like that. Yes. Incredible. All right. Uh the NBA draft is tonight. I know you're excited. The NBA draft does not draw excitement, juice, anything like that. A lot of these guys let's be let's be honest about it, just trying to be fair here. Unless you are a contender that has made a trade that now puts you in a great spot. Okay. Most of these players early in their careers end up in the witness protection program of basketball. How many of you saw Cade Cunningham play this year for Detroit? He was the first overall pick in last year's draft. And by the way, had a really good season. But how many of you saw him play? Unless it was a playoff game, how many of you saw Anthony Edwards play? He was the first overall pick the year before in that draft. How many of you had seen Andrew Wiggins play until he got to the finals with Golden State? He was the first overall pick in the draft. How many of you ever seen him play till now? Unless they get to a contending team, you rarely see them, and guess what? Like number one is Orlando tonight, number two is Oklahoma City. Let me cue you in on something. Jabari Smith and Chet Holmgren, whatever order you want, will be one two tonight. Neither one of those guys will be playing on Christmas Day. That's a hint from this station and the ad council. It's just the way and that's why the NBA draft doesn't draw the kind of juice. It doesn't really seem to change immediately, now long-term, you know, Curry, and then they added in Thompson, then they added in Green, and the Celtics, you know, they start out by getting Marcus Smart, then they added in Brown, then they drafted Tatum, then they drafted Williams. Okay, but it took time to do all of that. The fortunes of a team are rarely changed in the NBA unless it's a contender that, through a trade, ends up with a high pick. Then it changes everything. All right, let's get a rundown on the draft. Let's bring in the coach, Scott Spinelli, to join us. Great to have you back,
2: coach. Always, always great to be here. Thanks again for having me. It's a lot of fun when I connect with you. Thank you.
0: uh, Let's start with Jabari Smith. It looks like he's going to be the first overall guy. You watch his game, Scott. What do you say?
2: Look, I was just talking uh, to another uh, person about him. and and To me, what I think is really uh, obvious about him is, number one, he's an enormous talent. Um, A young person with this type of um, skill, he can really shoot the three ball. Obviously, his mid-range game is he's very efficient. He doesn't look to force a lot of things. He has that uncanny ability in a crafty way to kind of create space to get his shot off. Um, And Again, I think he's an enormous talent. I think his best basketball is still ahead of him. Um, But the one thing that is very, you know, I think it's uniform right now in terms of what most all NBA teams are looking for, except if you're looking for maybe a piece, is guys who can pass, dribble, and shoot. And Jabari, obviously, with that size and with his versatility, to me, he fits exactly what the NBA is turning to right now.
0: Uh there are not many 7 footers who are really terrific pick and pop 3 guys. <laughs> and then there's Chet Holmgren. Uh is is this is this the modern NBA coming to to the front tonight the second pick?
2: I, I think it is, Steve. Look, if you're asking me, I'm taking him number 1. Right, yeah. You know, I just really believe that with his skill set um you know with his again he's a two-way player he plays on both ends of the floor um you know the one thing that you really didn't even see a lot of that I you know I've seen him in high school and through AAU is that he can really pass the ball too yeah. so I think he's got everything that you'd want in the modern day NBA and again as you know Steve you know as a coach as a front office person in the NBA you're looking at trying to improve your team for the most important thing, and that is to win. And I think in every aspect, Chet Holmgren um, helps you win in so many different ways.
0: Well, and here's a part I think is very underrated, but he is, to me, when I and I've only watched him on TV. I haven't seen him in person. He is a fabulous weak-side shot blocker. Am I, am I right about that?
2: Absolutely. I think you just, and you know what, to your point, when he does block shots, he keeps him in play. Oh, I right? love Bill Russell. Yes. and I think that, that's another side of his, just again, he's very instinctive. I love the word instinctive when you talk about him because even on the defensive end of the floor, um, and it, maybe not necessarily in blocking shots, but just guarding the basketball, you know, again, he's lacking some strength. We know that, but he's very, very instinctive. And I think, Again, those uh, with that type of size and with his skill set and you have those kind of instincts with yeah. his skill and versatility, yeah. there's not it's a genera- to me, it's a generational talent.
0: Yeah. Paulo Bancaro has the big name. Uh what kind of game do you think he has on the NBA level?
2: Again, I, I think if you're asking I'm going Chet Holmgren one and I'm going Paulo okay. two and I'm going to three. And the only reason I say that is because look here you have he's the, the most physically ready right i mean right, right. now Paolo at 6'10" 250 he's ready to go into the nba and physically compete with these guys um the one thing about him again very skilled um a, you know three level scorer he's a matchup nightmare at his size um really has improved his uh ball handling in a year um, and, and again lost in all of that similar to that of Chet Holmgren he's an excellent passer yeah. but one question I have with him is I'd like to see him go after the ball in the glass a little more yep. in his area and out of his area but again I think he's the most ready Steve physically to come into the NBA and really help right now.
0: Yeah that's interesting you say that Scott because earlier on the show I was talking about prospects and my two biggest concerns about Ben Carroll would be one he's not a shot blocker at 6'10 and number two <laughs> Do, he's not an aggressive rebounder at 6'10". But all the other stuff you I, I love about him. Uh, the Jay Nivey, he and Sharp are probably the best two, quote, athletes in the draft. I found it interesting that Sacramento asked him to work out twice and he wouldn't go. <laughs> wow. wow <laughs> and, and, and Sacramento is sitting there at four. Uh, when he goes the same speed as the ball, Scott, how good is he? <laughs>
2: Uh, Shaden Shop honestly is his upside and his potential. Now, those are kind of yeah. you know risk, risky words, right? Like, yeah. risk- but when you have that type of athleticism um, with his length, um, you know his motor, all of the things that you kind of look for in terms of what the NBA is today, and then you add it, he takes it even up a notch athletically. Um, here's a young player. Who really does have um i mean sky is the truly the limit for this young man now again work ethic coaching is you know willingness to get better film everything he's going to need to do and i'm sure again i don't know a lot about that but i've only heard great things about his character yep. so you would think that he's a guy that's going to come into the nba and just become get better and better and better and again with that type of athleticism my goodness he could be a a special player in the nba for a long time
0: and what about ivy
2: you know one thing about jaden ivy that really impresses me is when you really watch him his his overall his speed his motor um again gifted athletically but i like the fact that he can play with different at different paces right like in transition he is an elite-level transition player, which a lot of times in the NBA, you know, you're going to get out and run. I think he's as good making decisions, finishing at all three levels uh, as any you know, potentially God right now in the draft, but what i like about him is that you can also put him in the half court. You can put him on the ball, you can put him off the ball. Um you know, he's good in the pick and roll, dribble handoffs in terms of making decisions, but again, you have another player that can play multiple positions with versatility um and he's got a, a again, a tremendous upside in terms of where he could be someday.
0: Oh, I mean, when he goes the same speed as the ball cuz obviously I had a chance to see him several times in person. Anyway, he made a play at the end of the Penn State game in the Big Ten tournament, where it, I mean, it looked like it looked like you and me weaving our way through traffic on the interstate. Scott, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was like I, I'm like, oh, what the heck? <laughs> it's a it's you it's you and me on 128 <laughs> on a fr- on a Friday on the f- on four lanes of fun. <laughs> I, <was> like, <laughs> I love it. I figure <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, I, figured, I figured I'd go with something you and I can relate to. Uh, (laughs) amen Keegan Murray made uh, I watched him um, in his second year and I was like okay he got better and this year really got better now he's a little older at 21 what do you like about Keegan Murray's game
2: well, first of all, I think that age is really overrated. Uh, again, I think when you start talking you know, numerical age, every kid develops physically and mentally at his or her own pace, and they have their own path. And I think, again, just me and you know, over the years of watching players, I, I think that's a very uh, overrated um, you know, thing as it relates to, well, he's young, so he's going to become great. That, that's no guarantee. Right. I see I really feel like there's a lot, too much of an emphasis on age, numerical age, right? What about physical and mental maturation? Yeah. We don't know that. But again, to your point, I saw Keegan at DME Academy down in Daytona Beach, Florida, at a prep school when he was in, uh, you know, in high school, and you know, he was always that guy that had a pure three-point stroke. He could yeah. really shoot the basketball, and a big credit to Coach McCaffrey and his staff to, to the development, their player development with him. And allowing him uh, to play through mistakes, and he's now become a player that can pass, dribble, and shoot. He can play multiple positions. He's obviously, as we know, a pure three-point shooter. Um, and again, you know, he's a guy that I think is going to have a tremendous career in the NBA as long as you know some of this is fit. And how his, you know, what what they're mm-hmm. looking for in the respective teams that draft these guys. But man, did he, to your point, he really, really improved during his time in Iowa. Wow.
0: He made a tip in at the end of regulation against Penn State. Where if anybody has any question about his athleticism. I would like you to rack up that tape. Okay, so it's just... uh, Okay, and I I can say that with joy because uh, Penn State won the game. All right, so... (laughs) So all I did was extend it five minutes. (laughs)
2: That's a brave memory. Well, if he tipped it in at the buzzer and they lost, we wouldn't be talking about
0: this, right? (laughs) I would have bypassed it, Coach. I don't
2: blame you. That's just just the kind
0: of guy I am. Uh, Johnny Davis is interesting to me because because you know the funny thing about Johnny Davis is all the games that I've done where I saw him play in person, he never played well in person. But the games I saw on TV, he played really well. What? How much do you – this guy, is a, to me, is a great competitor. How much does that enter into an evaluation, a guy's pure competitiveness?
2: Look, for me personally, one of the things over the years that I used to really – um, become attracted to is when you can find that basketball player who also played football, and I think yeah. with him, he was that uh, that quarterback. We had a kid at Boston College, Kai Bowman, who oh, really signed yes, North Carolina for football, and he was just again as a basketball player hopefully he gets over this AC on his back. But my point is that football side of what, you know, what he brings to the table the table with that tenacity, that toughness, um, you know, he's plays with a chip on his shoulder. All of those things are going to translate to the NBA. He's not gonna be afraid of the moment. Mm-hmm. Um look, people question maybe his percentage from the three. He's only gonna get better there because of all the shoot arounds. But here's the other thing. When you have that type of toughness to you, you'll will shot in, And I think that football side of it really helps out a lot, uh, especially when you get to this stage. But I think he's going to be a tremendous player mm-hmm. in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Again, versatile, he rebounds, he's tough. And again, all the things that you're looking for with him, to me, translate.
0: Uh, Malachi Branham, you know, he has a fabulous mid-range game. When you have a fabulous mid range game and you talk about the number of shooter rounds that you go through, can you become a better three point shooter?
2: Absolutely. I think that's the one thing in the NBA. Look, as you know, Steve, we're limited in the NCAA <laughs> with how many hours you can work with the guys in the summer, mm-hmm. you know, your four hour rule and so on and so forth. But. You know, look, when you have a kid like him, Malachi, I mean, you know that his mid-range game is there. That's kind of a lost art, right, right now in basketball. But it's still – I remember the story of Chris Middleton uh, with Milwaukee. And the one thing about Chris, he had a pure three-point shooting stroke, but he was deadly from the mid-range game. And he still is to this point, uh, to this day. But I think sometimes – where Chris and I think the game of basketball has gone, and most of the analytics will say layups or threes, layups or threes. Right. So Chris is one of the guys that's kind of defied that as as some of the other guys have you know uh, over their time too right i mean Paul George and uh, Kawhi Leonard obviously mid range game but i think Malachi has the ability um to score in that mid range uncanny ability to score against anyone but to your point he'll get better from the three line, and, and sometimes you got to see past what the young man is doing within the system he's playing. in, because look, every coach is trying to win. So they're trying to play to the, the, mm-hmm. the, these guys are playing to their strengths and, and sometimes they can do other things, but again, the system doesn't allow them to do that. But I do think he'll get better on that side, especially making three point shots throughout his time in the NBA.
0: And one, one final guy, uh, I don't want to take up too much of your time. He's a little older. Uh, E.J. Liddell, who's Malachi's teammate at Ohio State. What do you think about E.J. Liddell, especially as an inside-out player?
2: Well, look, uh, physically, right? I mean, he is a man-child. Right? Oh, yeah. He is so physically just talented. Um, I, I will tell you this about him, and I mean this, I mean he got so much better even during the short time that he was there and mm-hmm. um, watching him. And the one thing that really stood out to me is that he really was one of those guys you can talk about taking advantage of matchups, but he actually did it. Um, and he would exploit matchups at any time. So he's got that ability to again in the NBA with all the switching that's going on in the perimeter with little handoffs and ball screens again he's going to be a matchup nightmare and he's one of those guys that if you really dig deep into what he does he really does a really good job of making the right basketball play and exploring matchups but again he'll get better from the three-point line he's going to be a guy that's just going to continue to improve in a lot of different areas but I just love the fact that he's a matchup nightmare to me, and he does understand how to exploit those matches.
0: Exactly. I, I felt, uh, Scott, that he played with an NBA mindset uh, in college. Uh, and, and it, Look, the number of... Free throws that I broadcast of him against Penn State—it's a pretty long list. <laughs> Cause, cause got, oh, Dick Girardi's going back to the line again. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> now I didn't say they were all the right calls, Scott.
2: <laughs> but yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure they weren't. <laughs> but I mean, he was a great free throw shooter. I mean, oh yes. Yeah, so It's a me nuts.
0: He's yeah. in that 78, 80%. You know,
2: I'm <laughs> like, oh, great. <laughs> well, you know, and the one thing that really improved with him, think about this, like his freshman year, he was like shooting almost like 20% from the three-point line. Yes. And then last year he was up to 38%, and his numbers went up. And you see that kind of improvement uh, with a young man with that body at six-seven, which is about 240, 245. I mean, He's a guy that's again, you know, he's obviously in the gym, he's working. Um, you know, he's into player development, getting better. And that's the yeah. key, just keep getting better. So, again, he's definitely somebody that is just going to continue to get better throughout his NBA time.
0: And the, and the people at Ohio they tell you, as a locker room guy, they say he is awesome. So that doesn't hurt your cause either. It is always, no. always a pleasure talking hoops with you, my friend. Thank you so much for the time you gave us again today.
2: Thanks for having me, Steve. Okay, best of luck. Hopefully we can catch up soon. Thank you.
0: The coach, Scott Spinelli. Great to have him with us on the show today. Rob Temple on the uh, youth movement in Pittsburgh with the Pirates and also about baseball and the future of whether the Pirates remain in Pittsburgh. Yeah, I'll ask him that question. That's next half hour here on News Radio 1070 WKOK.